Let's read Second uh, Peter chapter 1, and we're only going to read the first four verses this morning. Last week I kind of introduced this, but now we're going to begin to slowly work our way through these three chapters. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Holy Spirit, this is a powerful, powerful text. You have given us, the Bible says, everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness through our knowledge of him, we can receive, engage, embrace, and, and walk in the precious promises of God. Lord, that is not some insignificant truth. That is powerful truth that you want yeah. your children to walk in. I pray, Lord, today that you would just hover in this room for these next few minutes. Lord, I pray that you would use me, anoint me, not because I am in any way deserving. That is not true. Not because I have yeah, earned it. That is, it is impossible. Like when I but I pray, God, for your anointing like upon my life. Help me to speak your word with clarity and simplicity. And I pray, Lord, that you would captivate the attention of everyone in this room so that we can be changed by your word today. I believe in you for that. I'm asking, Lord, that in my weakness, your strength would be made perfect and that the word of the Lord would change and transform us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Everybody good and warm. Say amen if you're good and warm. All right. No excuses once we get here. And for those who are at home, um, welcome, and I love you even though you didn't get out of bed this morning. That's okay. Just kidding. So we opened the series last week uh, in Second Peter with a reminder that whatever we give our lives to in 2024 must be something significant. You remember if you were here or heard the message, we don't want to be like those who just ride in the snow. And when the sun comes up, and it gets a little warmer, and it will, it will, then that snow melts. We want to be people who make a difference, who our lives and our works and our efforts do something that lasts. We want something that will endure when Jesus comes. Now, Peter is writing what are his final words from Nero, who is the emperor of Rome, his prison, and Peter is passionately urging believers 
to not give in to the culture and to the false teachers, but to pursue godliness. Peter is saying, don't give in, don't cave in, don't give up, don't lose hope. And these are Peter's last words. These are important words. And he is saying to them, don't give up, don't quit pursuing godliness. This is even more crucial for us today as we anticipate the coming of Christ. How many believe Jesus is coming back? He's gonna come and following his coming, there will be judgment. And so it is more important than ever that we be on the path of pursuing godliness and righteousness because we are certain that Christ is returning. That was something that the false teachers, and we'll talk about that more in a few weeks, but the false teachers were denying. They were saying, ah, oh, there's not gonna be a coming of the Lord, which led to people being very morally lax and just kind of living loosey-goosey lives. And Peter was saying, Jesus is really coming and you need to live lives of godliness. You need to live lives that really matter. So these are Peter's final words. It is like his last will and testament. And he wanted these words to count, to make a difference. So last week, we talked about the following things in regard to Peter, first of all, or this letter. First of all, the author of 2 Peter is Peter, who was the brother of Andrew. They were fishermen, and he was one of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 disciples. We also talked about the fact that Peter was writing to Christians that had been dispersed. They'd been kicked out of Jerusalem. They were under persecution. These were both Jews and Gentiles who shared with Peter what Peter called a like precious faith. In other words, they had experienced the same grace that he had experienced. Peter is writing to combat false teachers who are denying the coming of Christ. The, the false teachers were saying, you know what, they've been talking about the coming of the Messiah forever. Since the beginning of time, they've been talking about this. And of course, we hear people say that today. And, and so it's not gonna happen. And they were denying the coming of Christ. So Peter is writing to combat them as they denied the coming of Christ and the judgment that was coming. And now listen, and when you wipe out the hope or the certainty of judgment, you can kind of live however you want. If God's not gonna judge me, then it doesn't really matter. And that's exactly what it was leading to in Peter's day. So he's writing to combat that. Though the false teachers claim to be Christians, we learned, their actions and their teachings were denying that confession. And so Peter calls his readers in these final words, and I want you to really grab a hold of this. He calls them to a spiritual diligence that will result in their experiencing the glory of God. He wanted them to be so diligent in their final days that they would experience the eternal and ultimate glory of God. So today I wanna to go back to that opening part of chapter one, verses three and four, and I wanna examine the specifics of Peter's challenge. Can we read just verse three and four again? As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Can I just tell you, there's a lot of passages in the Bible, but there's not like an empty word in these whole two verses. Every one of those words and phrases is just power packed. 
And, and let me just take a few minutes and try to unpack some of that. The focus in this text is clearly spiritual maturity. God wants us, look at me for just a moment, God wants all of us to grow spiritually. He wants us by the end of 2024 to be more spiritually developed than we are today. How many believe that to be true? God wants us to grow. He wants there to be some um, development in our spiritual lives. I, I really like this metaphor. I read this, this little interesting article. But in an issue of Christianity Today, Jen Wilkin um, writes about her unexpected lesson that came from Facebook. There are a couple of things good that can come from Facebook, all right? And, and, and so she shared this to kick off the new year with a challenge. Here's what she read. Compare your first profile picture on Facebook to your most recent one and see how hard aging hit you over the past 10 years. How many look a little different than you did 10 years ago? Come on, raise your hand. How many look a little different than you did 15 years ago? All right, so um, she's, she talks about that. So compare your picture, your profile picture to 10 years ago. I pulled up my first profile picture and I stared at it. The air exiting my lungs and an odd numbness seeping up from my toes. Hello, fresh-faced person, I remember you. I remember that shirt and the wallpaper in that kitchen and that haircut. I also remember the night that I uploaded you, lightheartedly filling in my Facebook profile with enough information for my identity to be stolen and my house to be robbed. How many remember those days? Imagine if it had been possible to post a picture of your heart 10 years ago laid next to another, your heart now. A spiritual angiogram, before and after, a trajectory of the growth or decline of wisdom itself. What would it show? Will you want to post it? This is what I thought as I sat at my computer contemplating the face of a younger self. I have not stopped thinking about it since. Who says social media can't make you wise? Facebook invites us to count the lines on our faces, but wisdom reads between those lines. I want you to be very honest with yourself for just a moment. Think about your life spiritually 10 years ago, or five years ago, or two years ago. If you were to compare your heart then to your heart now, is it more open to Christ? Is it more mature? Are you growing in him? Is there more joy? Is there more peace? Or have you become harder, more cynical, colder, more indifferent? The pursuit of spiritual maturity is a necessity for all of us. And it can be frightening at times. C.S. Lewis's words are helpful. He said, I find a good many people bothered by our Lord's words be ye perfect. Some people seem to think this means unless you are perfect, I will not help you, God is saying. And as we cannot be perfect, then our position is hopeless. But C.S. Lewis says, I do not think he did mean that. I think he meant the only help I will give is help to become perfect. You may want something less, but I will give you nothing less.
God is committed to your spiritual development. God is committed to my spiritual maturity. And when he says, be perfect, God is saying, I'm going to help you grow into spiritual maturity. And if you are willing to satisfy, be satisfied with something less, you'll not find God's help. But if you say, God, I want to pursue righteousness. I want to pursue everything that you've called me to be. God promises to help. Peter is saying that we can mature, we can grow, our hearts can be transformed. And I want to share with you just three simple things from our text, and they're all really important, but three things from our text this morning that I think will challenge us. Number one, we have available to us everything that we need to grow in spiritual maturity. Everything we need to grow in spiritual maturity, God has provided for us. If you don't believe that, look at the text. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's what the Bible says. His power has given to us everything that we need that pertains to life and pertains to godliness. In short, God has provided by the power of Jesus Christ everything that we need to live lives that are pleasing to him. How many want to live your life pleasing to God? He's given you everything you need is what scripture says to please him. The word life is the Greek word zoain, and it really speaks of eternal life, but it's the eternal life that began at new birth. When you got born again, you began to live eternally. You, you died to the old life, and you began to live to a new life. You began to live eternally. Godliness is the word you say by and it, it means devotion or piety or good worship. In other words, God has said, I have given you by my power everything that you need to live eternal life now and through eternity and everything that you need to pursue godliness and righteousness. The two of these are linked because you cannot experience eternal life without godliness. You cannot have eternal life unless you live a life of godliness. And Peter's opening words anticipate what he will say at the end of the letter. You see, the coming of Christ is denied by the false teachers. But the coming of Christ, if we believe, if I believe Jesus, everyone in this room believed that Jesus would come tomorrow. If you believe that Jesus was coming tomorrow or next week, how many think that we'd be pretty active in the next few days, right? You understand, that is a motivation for godliness. And so when you take that off the table, and that's what the false teachers were doing, they had lost their motivation for godliness. The denial of his coming impedes the pursuit of godliness, and this is true for us today. That's why Peter later in the book will say, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, he was talking about the coming of the Lord and a new heaven and a new earth. In light of all of that, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of, God, the, day of the Lord? 
When I believe Jesus is coming, when I think it could be tomorrow, I'm gonna live my life in holiness and righteousness because I want him to come and see me and say, well done, good and faithful service. That makes sense to everybody. And, and so when that's off the table, then we quit pursuing that righteousness. We need not throw up our hands in despair or claim we cannot achieve godliness. Because scripture says we can. He's given us everything that we need. To say, well, I just can't do it. I just can't make it. I just can't serve God faithfully. I just can't be consistent. To say that, if you're going to believe scripture, is to contradict what scripture says. Scripture says he's given us everything that we need that pertains to Zoane life and godliness and holiness. Mark Buchanan shared this story. He said, Arthur Burns, a Jewish economist of great influence in Washington during the tenure of several presidents, was once asked to pray at a gathering of evangelical politicians, stunning his host. This is what Arthur Burns prayed. Lord, I pray that the Jews would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that the Buddhists would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. And then most stunning of all, Lord, I pray that Christians would come to know Jesus Christ. There are a lot of folks that come to church every single Sunday to churches all around the world who think they have progressed as far as they can and I'm just hoping I slide my way into heaven and I just barely make it. They don't understand Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection that is available to us. Somebody say amen if you believe that. You don't have to wallow in spiritual mediocrity. If you want your heart to look different 10 years from now than it does today, we need to learn to lay hold of those things that he's provided that pertain to life and godliness and develop in spiritual maturity. Say amen if you believe that. We begin everything, we've been given everything we need to mature. Secondly, um, and this is real straightforward, this is not, none of what I'm sharing today is earth shattering. Um, secondly, all that God has provided for us to achieve spiritual maturity is mediated through our knowledge of him. So he said, we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, look at this, through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. You see, our ability to mature in godliness does not come from our inherent abilities but through our knowledge of him. We don't develop in Christ. We don't mature in Christ because we're all that or we've got something special. It comes through our knowledge of him. The more we know him, the more we develop in spiritual maturity. The word knowledge is the Greek word epinosis. Gnosis is knowledge. Epinosis, and it means precise and correct knowledge, and it also means intimate relationship. So all things that pertain, oh, watch this, we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness through the epinosis, through the knowledge of him. It's, we, don't, we don't have the ability to mature through our own inherent abilities. We can mature 
through our knowledge of him, our epinosis of him. Jean Green said, in this personal knowledge of God, the great privilege of Christianity, these believers may abound in saving grace and peace. God's benefits are never detached from his person. The only way, listen, what God has given to us to develop in life and godliness is the person of Jesus, and the more we know him, the more we can grow in him. Peter's gonna close his letter with a call to growing grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's 2 Peter 3, 18. He'll say growing grace and the knowledge. It's not just growing in grace, it's growing in knowledge of him. Knowledge of Christ Douglas Moo said, is the foundation for our Christian experience. Let me just look at you for just a moment. The reason, plain and simple, that most Christians are not maturing is because most Christians don't know Jesus. Amen, Pastor Kevin, that's good. They don't know him. If you don't know him, if we, if we, have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, and we don't have knowledge of him, then we're not going to have everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. It's as simple as that. Knowledge of Christ is the foundation for our Christian experience. It is personal activity. We have to engage it. The Old Testament writers spoke of, spoke of knowing one another in the terms of sexual intimacy. One person, a man knew his wife. Over and over you hear that, and, and it's that sense of intimacy and relationship. In the New Testament, remember when Paul said, he who knew no sin, Jesus, he had no experience with it. He had not been intimate with sin in any way. He had no knowledge of it because he had had no experience with it. And so now Peter is saying, he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge, through the experience of him, our knowledge of him. The issue with the false teachers was that they had come to know Christ at one point, but they turned away, Peter says, from this knowledge. And he will say that the fate of their end would be far more serious because once knowing him, they turned away. But knowing, look at me for just a moment, is more than head knowledge. It's more than just knowing stuff out of the Bible. But on the other hand, you're going to get about as balanced as I can bring it today. It's not just knowing stuff about him, but it's more than having a warm, intimate relationship with the Creator. It means experiencing him, but it also means understanding who he is. False teachers were pulling people away from Christ. And to avoid error, Peter said you need more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. You need more than just a camp experience 20 years ago. If you're gonna stand against the air, God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness, but it's through the knowledge of him. You have to know him, you have to experience him, but you also have to know who he is. One must have more than a warm, fuzzy feeling. They needed to know some specific things about him, what he had done and what he demanded from them. 
Can I just tell you this morning, and, and you hear me talk about it all the time, our culture is absolutely, our, our church culture, not glad tidings, the church culture is ripe for people to fall away from God. Because we don't know the word, we don't know him, and we are easily sucked into air because we don't know him and we're not progressing in righteousness and maturity because you can only do that through your knowledge of him. Douglas Moo also said this, and this is a great line, in our day we are rightly warned about the danger of a sterile faith, of a head knowledge that never touches the heart. That's right. But we need equally to be careful of a heart knowledge that never touches the head. Too many Christians know too little about their faith. We are therefore often unprepared to explain how our God differs from the God of Mormonism or the Jehovah Witnesses. Again and again, the New Testament makes plain that our very salvation can depend on confessing truth about God and his revelation of his son. The biblical writers demand a knowledge of God that unites head and heart. We must be careful not to sacrifice the head in favor of the hearts. Look at me for just a moment. This is just balanced Christianity. You need to experience Jesus with the heart, but you need to know him from the word of God and understand who he is. How many believe that to be true? Otherwise, you are just a sitting duck for the enemy and heir. We cannot know him, however, without him first calling us. It's the knowledge of him who called us. That word called is kaleo in the Greek. It's a decisive act by God where he brings his people into relationship with him. We love to quote Romans 10, 9 and 10. Now, if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But we must not forget that the initial calling is divine. We don't call on him first. It is a divine calling, not a human calling. It is first and foremost, God calling us. You cannot call on one who has not first called on you. How many are thankful Jesus called you this morning? This calling is a favorite subject to Peter who experienced Christ's calling. Peter, listen, Peter knew what a calling was. Peter was tending his nets with Andrew and Jesus came along and said, I want you to follow me. And Peter followed him. Peter then messed up royally after three years. And Jesus said, Peter, I still want to call you. Kaleo, I still want you to be in the fold. So Peter knew all about the calling. He's the one that wrote in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a special people so that you can proclaim the praises of him, watch, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Can somebody say amen this morning? He kaleido, he called us out of darkness into light. But if you read Peter, Peter says part of that calling, 1 Peter 1, 21, is we've been called to suffer. Well, that's where some people say, whoa, just a minute, I don't know that I'll follow. We've been called to suffer. 1 Peter 3, 9 said that we've been called to bless others, even those who curse us. How many love that the first of the year? Isn't that good news? We are called to bless those who curse us. But now watch this. We've been given everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness through our knowledge of him 
but the knowledge of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The calling of Christ was active on his part. He called us by his glory and his virtue. You see, a call to follow Jesus required an action on the part of Jesus. It was his redemptive work, his own glory and virtue. What, what's his own glory and virtue? It was when he laid himself down on a cross and sacrificed himself. He who knew no sin became sin. He called us by his glory and virtue. And he called us to experience him and to know him. Now, can I just give you a little theology here? This calling is neither arbitrary nor exclusive. There are those that would have you believe that God only calls a certain bunch and he doesn't call the others. It's a doctrine of predestination, the doctrine of election, or the doctrine of limited atonement. But I would suggest to you that Peter, who talks about his calling, says this, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. Does that sound to you like a God who selectively calls a few and lets others go to hell? God has called us all. Aren't you thankful for that? Out of darkness and into his marvelous light, he has called us to know him, to experience him, to know about him. And when we know him, we can grow in spiritual maturity. We can grow to maturity through a knowledge of him who called us by his spirit and by his definite act at Calvary. Let me give you the third and final point this morning. Spiritual maturity that is diligently pursued will result in present victory, victory now, and eternal glory. Look at the rest of this. Um, so we've been given everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. Look at this, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. By which, by which, what's he talking about? Through his virtue and glory. The virtue and glory of Christ, who has called us, it's through that that we have received these promises. Remember, that calling was active. It was decisive by Christ. His glory and virtue is his perfect sacrifice at Calvary. And by that decisive act, listen, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. It was decisive. He went to the cross. And by that decisive and sacrificial calling of us, we have received these exceedingly great and precious promises. Oftentimes when you read about promises in scripture, it means all the promises of God, and there are so many. But here in the context of 2 Peter, I think it is a specific set of promises. Promises that the false teachers were denying and they were scorning. It's the promise that we read about in verse 11 of entrance into the everlasting Kingdom Is anybody looking forward to the day that we enter into the everlasting kingdom? 
It is the promise of the coming of Christ in chapter 3, verse 4 and 9. It's the promise of a new heaven and a new earth where it's always 75 degrees. Somebody say amen. These are indeed exceedingly great and precious. The word is timios. means of great price. It means especially dear. These are exceedingly great and precious promises that we have received by his glory and virtue. Look at the power of these promises. By these promises, we partake of the divine nature. My goodness, Christians live pitifully, don't we? I mean, oh, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I'm going to get through this. My life's a mess. Everything's terrible. That's not God's best for you. Through his precious promises, he has made it available to you to partake of his divine nature. That's not making us God. That is about moral transformation. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So many Christians aren't having their minds renewed. Think about that Facebook angiogram. They're no further along 10 years from now than they were a decade ago. There's been no renewal, and yet this is available to them. He called you. He's made available through his glory and virtue at the cross these precious promises by which you partake of his divine nature, and you just put it on cruise control, and you never get anywhere with Christ. What a shame. No reason, it, it, no wonder we're not turning the world upside down. No wonder the world is not attracted to the church today because we're just wallowing around trying to get through instead of walking in the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and walking with our minds renewed and being transformed into that divine nature. False teachers lived in lust. This moral transformation may seem slow, and it is. But remember his promise is not slack, as some men count slackness, but it's long-suffering. Listen, God doesn't mind, can I just be real honest with you, God doesn't mind that it's taking us a long time to become more like him, he doesn't mind. I think he minds that we're not trying to lay hold of those promises and become more like him. He doesn't mind that it's two steps forward and one back, that's the process. It's the process of sanctification he doesn't mind. It may seem slow, but we are being changed from glory to glory. And it will be fully revealed, 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the children of God. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be. I can say that about myself. It doesn't yet appear what I'm going to be. When I do something stupid, and you get mad at me, I will say, it doesn't yet appear what I shall be. But when he appears, I'm going to be like him because I'm going to see him as he is. It'll be fully revealed then. We do now, today, experience the divine nature when we're born again. It is Christ in us, Colossians 1, the hope of glory. 
We've already escaped the corruption. That word is farah. That which is perishing or being done away with. The corruptible world being destroyed. Do you realize the day that you got born again, you started to live eternally? You started to live, so death now has no sting for the child of God because you are gonna live forever. We've escaped that corruption. But now God calls us in this life to the pursuit of maturity that is a worthwhile pursuit. It will end in eternal glory. It is made through Christ's decisive call and work in my life. I call you. I call you by my glory and virtue, Jesus says, to walk in these promises. This maturity is enjoyed in ever-increasing measure, even in this life. The recipients of Peter's letter were being called to pursue the depth of available relationship with Christ and victory in Christ, but they had been reluctant. They were listening to those false teachers. Maybe it doesn't really matter. Persecution and false teachers were awakening them to Peter's call to grow. And this is the call and the case for us today. I want you to stand with me, if you would, this morning. A.B. Simpson was the... um, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. He died in uh, 1919. And he wrote this really, um, he wrote lots of challenging work. This paragraph challenges me. If we would be enlarged We must accept all that God sends us to develop and expand our spiritual life. We are so content to abide at the old level that God often has to compel us to rise higher by bringing us face to face with situations that we cannot meet without much greater measures of His grace. It is as though he had to send a tidal wave to flood the lowlands where we dwell to compel us to move into the hills beyond. God, like the mother bird, sometimes has to break up the comfortable downy nest, letting us drop into empty space. There we must either learn to use an entirely new and higher method of support or sink into failure and loss. We must do or die, fly or fall to our destruction. This entire series is gonna sound like this. Last week did, today does, next week certainly will. And I'm preaching this on purpose as we move into 2024. I do not want to get to the end of 2024 and the Facebook profile of Kevin Holt or Glad Tidings Church. I don't want it to look like it did on January 1st of 2024. I want to move to the higher lands 
I want to grow in my spiritual maturity. I want to learn to settle in peace more when things don't go the way that I want them to go. I want to learn to abide in Him. I, I want to quit trying to figure everything out myself and trust Him. I want to tap in to those precious promises that come through His glory and virtue. I want to walk in all that He's provided for me to pursue life of Zoe, godliness, usavia. I want to mature. I hope you want to mature. Would you just bow your heads with me for just a moment? Father, um, it's a pretty simple message, but certainly challenging. Nothing earth-shattering, but I pray it's spoken to our hearts today. We need to grow. The Facebook profile of Glad Tidings in January of 2025, I hope it means numerical growth. But if not, more than anything, I hope it means spiritual depth, spiritual growth, greater level of prayer intensity, greater passion for evangelism greater longing and hunger for fellowship with you, deeper, more intimate worship, greater willing to give ourselves first and then our stuff. Make that be so in us today. And may we, in these closing moments, confirm with you our passion and desire to mature, to grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, if it takes a tidal wave, if it takes you kicking us out of the nest, call us to the highlands of spiritual depth and maturity, I pray. Your head's bowed for just a moment this morning. How many just by an upraised hand would say, Pastor, I want to go to the spiritual highlands. I want to grow in my spiritual maturity in 2024. That pertain to life and godliness. How many would lift your hands with me and say, That's my desire? We're going to sing this chorus. It's still early. We're going to sing this chorus as I did last week. You may want to come. I, I'm committed this year, and I told Pastor Clayton every opportunity we have, I'm going to invite people to come and pray always been my purpose. It just doesn't always happen. But if you want to come and pray at the altar, I invite you to come. If you want somebody to pray with you, they'll certainly come and pray with you. But if you want to just come and kind of seal this, this word, so it doesn't just slip out in the notebook or on the outline, but it's something you have decisively said at the altar, God, I am in 2024. I'm going to grow. I'm going to develop in you. You're certainly welcome to come if you like as we sing this chorus, but let's make this our prayer, all of us, and I invite you to come and spend some time in prayer. Let's worship him.